0: This is the Dreadful Podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We're back with our coverage of Penny Dreadful. This time it's Season 3, Episode 1, The Day Tennyson Died. Welcome back fellow Penny Faithful to Penny Dreadful Season 3 Episode 1 The Day Tennyson Died. I'm one of your hosts Derek. Hello there fellow Darklings. Welcome to the House of Pain. Yes, the Dreadful Podcast. I am one of your other hosts John. (laughs) Just the two of us here this time for our coverage of Season 3 of Penny Dreadful. Will we start this off with uh, talking about the elephant in the room? I know there's no elephants in this particular episode. Well, yes,
1: that Ray has uh, left us for the time being. Uh, and it isn't because it's
0: season three. Nope. It's just because he has a very, very busy March. He certainly does. He certainly does. So he will not be here for much, I think, or if any, of season three of Penny Dreadful. We hope to get him back uh, for our discussions about Penny Dreadful City of Angels as well. Yes, absolutely. That's he has part. gone
1: sailing off to the Arctic, along with old John Clare, the creature. <laughs> um, but he will be back. He will be back yes, for so. City of Angels and hopefully maybe for the last part of uh, this season, season three of Penny Dreadful, which is as you described, the actual elephant in the room. Yes, yes, it is. Or well, the yeah.
0: elephant man in the room, dare I say. <laughs> so there you go, yeah. Getting on to season three itself, I haven't got that much memory of season three. I remember watching it, remember getting to the end of the series and going, that was okay. Um, it wasn't as good as season one or season two, but it's been a long time since I've seen season three. And yeah. everything I think I remember so far comes up in the first three or four episodes of this show. So I don't know how much memory I have of the end of the season, but I know... Among Penny and Dreadful fandom, this one is much maligned, let's say. Um, A lot of people unhappy with how the show ended. A lot of people unhappy that the show ended at all, because a lot of people are very unhappy when a show only goes three seasons, especially when it's only 28 episodes over three seasons, which well, is very that's short. short. Um, A lot of very beloved characters in here who get their ending at the end of season three, and we never hear anything further about them so um so overall john what's your memory of season three no character stuff but generally a
1: bit like you um my memory is a little sketchy on season three Um i still watched it all mm-hmm. and i certainly have come into this rewatch with a bit more trepidation because i just didn't know how to um how to really kind of, I I didn't have any preconception really coming into it, other than certain aspects of it. And, you know, I mean, overall, this is much more disparate than the previous two, you know, Mm -hmm. you've in seasons one and two, you have the company of Malcolm, Vanessa, Ethan, Victor, uh, and Sembene Mm -hmm. uh, working together, you know, and and with Mr. Lyle coming in, certainly in season two. And that, core nucleus has been effectively exploded uh, around the northern hemisphere mm-hmm. uh, as we saw right at the end of season two with the the creature going to the Arctic we had samalcolm going to to Africa with the the body of Sembene mm-hmm. and you had Ethan being carted off uh under lock and key to North America mm-hmm. with inspector Rusk so the company is no more and it's not only that the company's exploded, but we go to different parts of the world, very much focusing uh, after London onto the US. Mm-hmm. So um it, it does definitely change the feel of of the series compared to the other two. Yeah. And you you know, you do get a lot of um new characters coming into this season as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I think some of which I'm really excited about um, after seeing the first three, for sure. Um, I I think one of the things is is that it's whether they play out in the way that you want them to within the season. I think Mm -hmm. that's one of the other things I remember. You know, the great thing about the witches from season two was that with Madam Carly, we saw her in season one at the seance and in the final episode. Mm -hmm. And so, Whilst they were a full part of season two, they were introduced in season one. They they felt familiar yeah. in that sense. So yes, I mean ultimately, I, I think I've come into this uh, season season three with a bit more trepidation, but right. I am still looking forward to it because I think and certainly from the first three episodes you know the quality of the production the cast and the writing is very much
0: still there yeah absolutely absolutely um and speaking of which the show is still show run by John Logan and he has maintained ever since the show finished cuz he gets asked about it very often he's always maintained that his plan was doing three seasons that he would he had written it as a three season arc that's why things like Ethan coming from America and always going to be dragged back to America was laid in in episode 1 of season 1 was that he was Planning that at some point Ethan would go on his journey and we find out about his family and we find out about his history, uh, that they would separate the company at some point uh, throughout this show. Now, you know, but let's just see. I suppose how successful it is and 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 how we review it. I suppose that, that how we rewatch the series, and let's see what our thoughts are at the end of the series. But so far, first couple of episodes, really enjoying it. As you know, if you've been following along with us on the Dreadful Podcast, we do cover each episode individually. We try not to spoil anything on the next episodes in case you want to watch one episode and hear each individual ones. But it does depend on how you're getting these episodes, because on our main feed on TV Podcast Industries, we've been releasing them with Roughly three episodes for each season, maybe two two episodes for the first season, I think it was, three episodes for the second season, and these three episodes for the third season, uh, covering all of the episodes together, I suppose. Uh, The original intention was that we were going to cover season one in one episode, season two in an episode, and season three in an episode, but we talk... A lot, as you probably know. <laughs> and we've ended up being able to put out half an hour to 40 minute episodes about each discussion of each episode of Penny Dreadful. So hopefully you're enjoying this rewatch before we kick into Penny Dreadful City of Angels. Really looking forward to seeing what happens on that show because it is it is completely different. They call it a spiritual successor. And John Logan has been very clear about the fact that he's done with Victorian monsters. He's done with uh, literary creatures or literary characters in his television shows. So we're not going to see that side of things. What we will see is the spiritual and the demonic side of things when we get around to City of Angels. So very little information out there so far. But by the time we finish doing these podcasts leading up to the show, I'm sure there'll be loads more information out there. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And I mean, I think that is the best thing that you can hear is that it is a spiritual successor of the first 3 seasons mm-hmm. of Penny Dreadful given there is so much spirituality, supernaturalness mm-hmm. uh, and everything else supernaturality and, uh, maybe <laughs> yeah I was wondering about that I just but you know it's nice that he is still um maintaining that that spiritual connection even though the characters, the setting uh, is all changing um you know I, I am hoping that he really pulls from the native american and the mexican or the aztec law you know all these things that surround um a lot of what has been um sort of amalgamated into certainly the you know the catholic church Mm -hmm. uh, within latin america uh, and and within that southwest part of america which was under spanish rule and um, there are many mexicans there that have brought that culture and, and those stories and tales and traditions so i i think this sounds really interesting it's something that i find fascinating as mm-hmm. well um and i i think just coming back to season three then one of the things that i i couldn't quite fully remember was just that you know they do dabble they do dip into that native american spirituality Mm -hmm. and traditions through ethan and one of his other fathers shall we say yes and so yeah really um looking forward to getting into episode one of season three the day tennyson died
0: Absolutely. Two quick things before we go into that. Just make sure you subscribe to the podcast on tvpodcastindustries.com. We do have a feed there for all of the podcasts that we do. Everything that we do goes in there. If you want just the podcast about Penny Dreadful, those are available on dreadfulpodcast.com, its own feed, which just has all of our coverage of Penny Dreadful. And finally, these podcasts wouldn't be possible without our supporters over on Patreon. If you want to support us, you can go over to patreon.com slash TV Podcast Industries. We've been releasing all of our rewatch episodes of Penny Dreadful over there first, so you get access to those before anybody else if you support us over on patreon.com slash TV Podcast Industries.
1: Yes, absolutely. So please, um, spread the love by spreading the podcast through however you want to support Mm. us whether it is subscribing to the podcast over on tvpodcastindustries.com on any good or evil podcast catchers such as google play uh, apple podcasts spotify uh, you name it you Mm -hmm. can uh, listen to our spooky tones uh, (laughs) on anything to do with Penny Dreadful.
0: And if you are listening to us on any of those podcast catchers that have the ability to leave a review or a rating, please do so. And Penny Dreadful's been off air for about five or six years. So putting out a podcast during a time when uh, the the show has been off air for a long time means that nobody's actually putting up reviews for our podcast at the moment. It'd be really cool uh, when we get into the lead into Penny Dreadful season four or Penny Dreadful City of Angels, as it is properly called, uh, that we had a few reviews up there. That'd be kind of cool. If you could do that, that would be so helpful to us. Yes, thank you, fellow Darklings. Absolutely. Let's get into Season 3, Episode 1, The Day Tennyson Died. This episode was, again, written by John Logan and directed by Damon Thomas. This is the third of six episodes of Penny Dreadful that Damon Thomas has directed. So, another old hand uh, coming back for another new episode of the show. Excellent stuff. (laughs) Excellent. John, do you want to give us the summary from INDV for this episode? Sure.
1: Ethan is a prisoner under Inspector Rusk's watch, heading through America. St. Malcolm meets a mysterious Native American while in Africa. Frankenstein gets a visit from an old friend, Dr. Jekyll. Meanwhile in London, the bells across the city ring out following the death of famed poet Alfred Lord Tennyson. As Vanessa goes deeper into depression, Mr. Lau recommends that Vanessa gets help from a very intriguing alienist, Dr. Seward. If... She'll be accepted for therapy.
0: She is a very intriguing alienist or therapist or psychologist or psychiatrist, I guess. Um, Alienist was an old term that kind of encompassed all of those things. But the character of Dr. Seward is very intriguing for multiple reasons, really. Yes. Firstly, a very familiar face. Yes, a very familiar face. Who is related to the other
1: very familiar face from... Season two.
0: Yes, we'll definitely be getting into that. John, do you want to give us your big moment from season three, episode one? Yes. Uh I've I've got the quotes, the old work. Oh yes. As Dr. Henry Jekyll
1: visits Victor Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Uh for me, um, this is great to have this character in the show. And I love how John Logan has incorporated Dr. Henry Jekyll with Dr. Victor Frankenstein. Uh who are reminiscing about their old work. You know, these two come together very much as outsiders that really have something to prove to the medical establishment Mm. um, and they want to get to the old work. So there is this suggestion that they know down which kind of maybe controversial lines of science and investigation they have both gone. Um, And I I thought this was really good. I, I think, again, another great literary character from uh, the victorian period coming from the book the strange case of dr jekyll and mr hyde by robert louis stevenson and mm-hmm. um, you know and again really good you know th- this is a book that actually you know it comes into uh common parlance in terms of that well-known phrase Jacqueline and Hyde. Mm-hmm. You know this idea of duality of personality, and um, that can exist. And we get a lot of that here. You know, you think of Ethan being a a werewolf, and then this very suave hustler cowboy ex-army. And mm-hmm. um, you have Sir Malcolm being the the lord. You know, the the knighted explorer. Uh, but at the same time, in the evening, is uh, hunting down supernatural. Terrors and monsters. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of duality
0: here. Yeah. Uh, and an it, for every character in Penny Dreadful being a major manipulation of good and evil together in, in their characters. Yeah. Exactly. And it, the, the book looks at that
1: duality of, of personality, good and evil. Can they coexist together um, within a single person that someone can be both good and evil, uh, have their, you know, light and dark sides, or are the light and dark sides forever to be Dominant and be the only thing mm. here and um, and and that they are actually separated they become separated and this is a conversation that um henry Jekyll has with victor yeah. frankenstein it, it, it's really really useful i think it also applies more generally to the public and private faces of people what they show to the the public say like dorian gray mm-hmm. and actually then how he is in private and certainly very privately with respect to the portrait uh, in his little hidey hole. Um, (laughs) But I I love that both men are catching up on their work and their visions to effectively prove this established scientific order wrong, you know. And they all come, it it comes to this crucible, uh, this pact that they have around Lily in the sense that Victor... Openly tells Henry Jekyll that he has succeeded. He has created life. He has reanimated the biological body. Mm-hmm. But you really get the sense from Victor and, and Dr. Jekyll really understands Victor. You see this, you can see that they obviously grew up in boarding school together, went to university together, had this kind of outsider relationship that he sees the romantic Victor. He knows that Victor is as much uh, embedded within the the romantic poets of the day as he is with his very hard uh, and objective science. You know, he very much amalgamates these two together mm-hmm. here. Uh, but they come together with this pact to either change Lily using um, Doctor Jekyll's. Uh, root of controversial science and and medicine that he can change people's behavior. Yeah. Or... That they will ultimately destroy her, um, and you—you you get Doctor Jekyll saying, "Victor, you don't want to kill her; you want to love her, mm-hmm. uh, but the love has been rejected." Yeah, And uh, he realizes what he has created, and there is that nice moment where he um, is kind of spying up. It's not a nice moment, I suppose, in that <laughs> sense. But he, you know, he's infatuated with her. He—he's spying on her at Dorian Gray's London residence and, and she comes out and she's very, I mean, in a sense, she feels sorry for him and, and tells him just to, to go away and don't come here again. You shouldn't be here. And, you know, she has, um, she has made that break from her creator yeah. uh, and doesn't particularly want to have anything to do with him. So I, I really uh, like the fact that these two are coming together effectively to fight Lily, but to try and change her initially, and if not, to destroy her. And yeah. um, so, um, uh, yeah, it's a really interesting moment for for these two. And obviously... Uh, knowing this as the audience, you're kind of thinking, okay, how will Lily react to this? You know, is she in danger or Mm -hmm. or not? Or is she growing ever more powerful?
0: Well, absolutely. You know, the, the whole idea of it really from Victor is that he wants to put the shackles back on Lily and turn her back into something that she's grown beyond. As we saw at the end of season two, she is now her own person and has now moved on with life completely differently to the character that Victor fell in love with. But all he wants to do is effectively trap her inside a relationship with him and if he can use the skills of uh, dr jekyll he's going to do it you know um i really like the idea because it, as you mentioned it, it sounds like they went to school together so you you get this idea that the two of them would have been working in science labs till two o'clock in the morning three o'clock in the yeah, morning exactly you know trading ideas with each other as to how to uh, control um the human psyche in, in jekyll's case how you would uh, calm down someone that's that's uh, that anger is overtaking them and then you'd have um Victor Frankenstein sharing the concept that he wants to break the veil between life and death and wants to keep people alive and resurrect people uh, and then they come back together here and they're both have had major breakthroughs in their own scientific research. Uh, I just love the idea that these two uh, could have been talking about this at night when they were fifteen, sixteen years old, going through their going through their education studies, and now they're coming back together to use each other's friendship to get what they want.
1: Yeah, and they've not forgotten any of it. You know, Victor calls out um, Jekyll with you know the anger and rage that was within within inside you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he. he Doctor Jekyll says, "I've learned to control it, uh, tame the beast within." Again, coming to that duality element, mm-hmm. um, you know, controlling uh, the chemical impulses of the brain. Um, but I think, you, yeah, you get this sense of them being very competitive towards one another. But because they're both outsiders, partly with Doctor Jekyll because he's Indian uh, within an Indian in London, in white dominated London. Mm. And, and Victor is this socially awkward person, but just, you know, despite this, um, being away from one another, you know, dr jekyll henry jekyll sees that victor is spiraling you know he's asking for his help even henry jekyll is you know love work and narcotics were to begin victor because he sees the puncture marks on on victor's arms so i think initially this is such a great meeting of two characters but ones that have a history that john logan has brought here um Dr. Jekyll is played by Shazad Latif, mm-hmm. who has a Star Trek connection. He played ash tyler on star trek discovery um who basically also had a lot of issues about uh identity and duality in that character uh, yes um i won't do any spoilers but certainly uh yes there was uh, two sides to uh his character the Janus of um star trek
0: discovery shall mm-hmm. we say
1: interesting um, <laughs>
0: That's an interesting way to put it yeah we didn't cover star trek discovery so we're not going to spoil it on the podcast but definitely go check it out it's an excellent uh, couple of seasons of that show so so far, really looking forward to seeing more of it. And Shazad Latif is fantastic in that show. He's really, really good yeah. uh, in the role that he has in there, and really good here. You know, he does play that that uh, character on the brink of losing his his uh, his temper quite often. You know, as you may know, we also did a Marvel podcast. There's also a major connection here with the creation of the character of the Incredible Hulk from Marvel Comics. You know, that's exactly how that character is played all the time, as he's on the edge of losing control and letting his version of Hyde take him over as well so so it's something we've seen for many many years in various versions of pop culture and tv and books but this is the original and I'm I'm intrigued to see how he's being used in this show you know the original version of Frankenstein did have him working with other uh, medical professionals and other scientists as well to try and perfect his version yep. of Frankenstein. So the idea that you take another literary character and have him working together on this problem that Victor Frankenstein has just makes a lot of sense. It's kind of cool to have uh, to have them connected this way.
1: Absolutely. And also, I'm slightly stealing from episode two here of this season, but I like how John Logan sort of layers in the contextual Victorian London element here. So, Doctor Jekyll is working at Bedlam, which is the great Victorian psychiatric asylum and laboratory mm. um, that we've seen in in plenty. Again, another term that has come into parlance um, mm-hmm. and uh, is, is you know is famous uh, in many different horror areas because of this idea of um, the. The asylum you know and people uh, effectively not being themselves and um, because of of the the misfiring of synapses and so on, uh, but most most notably uh, with Boris Karloff from the thousand nine hundred and forty six film bedlam there you go. and Bedlam is a corruption of Bethlehem, which is itself a corruption of bethlehem right so there 's corruption after corruption <laughs> after corruption of yes. where he works with corrupted minds effectively yeah. in that sense i mean. That's maybe slightly unfair on the poor uh, inmates at the asylum, mm-hmm. but you know it, it's but that idea. Of the people in Victorian era would have thought that exactly. Uh, it, it's that idea that the brain has been corrupted like a computer. You know, there's something not working correctly, and there is this outward, um, you know, very, very much again, Doctor Jekyll working with what the society considers to be misfits uh, Mm -hmm. at the time of varying degrees of severity in the same way that victor being the um the the butcher that that prepares the cadavers for medical school working in that very sort of lonesome socially um awkward and Outside of the normal day to day, Mm -hmm. so these two are like peas in a pod in that sense.
0: Absolutely, Uh, one of the corruption of Bethlehem is uh, said to be one of the inspirations for Arkham Asylum from Batman as well. So uh, the place where all of the inmates are housed in in. Uh, the city of Gotham and Batman is supposed to be based on Bedlam Beth- as well. So, um,
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like the world is going to Bedlam at the moment.
0: <laughs> it may not be with this episode. It comes might out, not be, as of I, I like to uh, to point out. John, do you have anything left on your point about Doctor Henry Jekyll?
1: No, I I think just you know I really uh, enjoy this character. Mm-hmm. I love that he's been paired with Victor Frankenstein here. The two of them get peppered through these first three episodes, and I just wanted to bring it in here on episode one because. Yeah. Um, Jekyll and Hyde is one of my
0: favorite books mm. of, of this period. Yeah, it's very cool. Very cool. Uh, my major moment from the episode that I wanted to talk about really is the meeting of Vanessa Ives and Dr. Seward. Um, just the starting of the season, effectively, as you mentioned earlier on, John, uh, Sir Malcolm has gone taking the body of some Bene away and leaving Vanessa in his home in the Murray household uh, back in London. Um, Seeing her broken and the house effectively just destroyed um, while she's left alone. She's not able to get herself out of bed. She's having parcels of food being delivered to the house. And you see how ravenously she's eating them when she when she's given the milk, I think, uh, is yeah. what she takes first and just pours it all down her throat because she probably hasn't eaten in days. Uh, and it's Mr. Lyle that comes back to help her out and sends her to this therapist. Someone that helped him out and helped him accept himself is the only kind of description we get as to what he went through what mr lyle went through but he says that she's massively successful in what she has done for him and hopefully she'll be able to help vanessa out even though he knows that it's going to be talking about supernatural things things that most people wouldn't possibly believe remember vanessa has already been committed once for talking about the fact that she had supernatural experiences so the idea that she would go and see a therapist at all is probably terrifying to her what if she never comes out of that that room again you know what if she's going to be sent off to another um another asylum because of talking to somebody about the things that are going on in her mind so i love how we have the introduction of this character of dr seward when vanessa comes into her because vanessa is so standoffish with her and she's also poking her with a stick to see if she can push her very far before she tells her anything about Uh, what's been going on in the past you know and she says to her that i can't tell you these things or else you'll you'll wake up screaming at night uh just by hearing the things that i've gone through kind of thing so uh a very familiar face, as we mentioned at the intro to this episode. Patty Lapone, one of our favorite yeah. character actors uh, in this show. Anyway, the, the character that she played of John Clayton was a massive standout for the one episode that she had. So having her back here and having Vanessa instantly recognize, her, you know, it's one of those ones where you go. I'm sure that we had John Logan looking at her performance and going, she's coming back. We're definitely getting her back. I don't care how we're going to do it. We'll have to write it in there somehow. But addressing it, at least in the opening moments where. Vanessa's kind of going instantly has a little bit of trust for her because Joan Clayton was somebody that was that she had a lot of love for by the end, um, but yep. knows that she was harsh, but fair with her um, and then kind of calls out the name Joan Clayton to Dr. Seward, who instantly goes, I, how could I possibly know that person? How could I possibly have spent any time with her? She's a, a, a distant ancestor. So hundreds of years before Dr. Seward had arrived in the UK and arrived in, in England this person existed. So she says they are our great ancestors from up North effectively. So, uh, so it's, it's another kind of tying on the fact that Joan Clayton is centuries old or was centuries old when she, when she eventually died. But the idea that Vanessa couldn't possibly know anything about her. So that's intriguing to Dr. Seward. So, Again, I, I just like the kind of game the two of them are playing with each other. Oh, definitely. Um, Dr. Seward not giving anything. I love her Her mention to her, I'm not your husband, I'm not your doctor, but you are here to get well. If you agree with that, if you're here to come to me and tell me your problems, I will make you well. That's my That's my role here. So you have to meet me halfway with that you know i kind of i kind of like their idea yeah
1: it you know she says she's a new field of of medical science Mm -hmm. it it, it seems to be yeah that that one of psychiatry that um is a conversation between um the doctor and the patient Mm -hmm. It, it is not like the banning clinic where she was tied up Um, and held where you're being forced with particular procedures and the conversation is very much from the doctor to the patient. Mm -hmm. But that's why, as you say, it's so good that there is this antagonism that Vanessa immediately puts on Dr. Seawood, yet she sees a familiar face looking back at her. And in the same way, Dr. Seawood is as equally antagonistic uh, of her as was Joan Clayton, you know, there is an efficiency of the use of words that is both abrupt and seemingly loveless between mm-hmm. uh, from Dr. Seward to Vanessa mm-hmm. um, and vice versa. And I like them bouncing off one another here. I mean, it almost seems that Dr. Seawood doesn't want Vanessa to be her patient. She goes, it's 10 shillings per session. If you don't like it, it's the price of a good dentist. Go and get your teeth seen to. Um, whereas Vanessa's kind of, she doesn't quite believe that this doctor doesn't want her to be her patient mm-hmm. and that she will be just seen as a a prize patient that she can use to make her yeah. maybe more famous improve her standing within uh the profession so, so what's the phrase she uses it's uh
0: you're, you need to collect and cure me as as the yeah. phrase yeah, yeah. so it,
1: it's it's really really
0: kind of nicely done mm-hmm. uh between these two um, and and once again you know i love the reaction from vanessa when she sees this face of someone that she thought dead you know that's exactly what is going through her mind because while she looks much better kept and has a better haircut, um a little severe, but uh, much better haircut yeah. than John Clayton, it looks instantly to Vanessa's eyes as if someone has been reincarnated in front of her. And uh, you know, she's gone through a whole experience of the witches of the of the nightcomers. So the reaction of her kind of going, uh oh, what about just walked into here you know uh, we also meet up with Renfield a very very creepy receptionist uh, the receptionist for Dr. Seward <laughs> he is so creepy even from the opening moments and he's not really supposed to be I don't think uh, not at that, this moment from that introduction no. he's not supposed to be creepy but there's just something that that kind of makes your skin crawl a little bit with him Um he's just a little bit creepy uh, when, when we see him at first but we End the episode and just where we're, where I want to close out, I suppose, the point of what's happening with Vanessa. She does seem to get a little bit of help from, from Dr. Seward. She's told to go out and do something to make herself happy. And she pays a visit to the National History Museum with a little bit of prompting, prompting from the, uh, greying looking, uh, child who's selling newspapers on the street, uh, as he's telling her that, yes. uh, Tennyson's died. Maybe you should take a visit in here, uh, to the, uh, to the Natural History Museum. It's a bit, a uh, bit of a creepy little moment.
1: Yeah. Dr. Seward, uh, basically, tells her to go break the cycle go and do something that you Different. wouldn't normally do yeah. um and, and in going to the natural history museum um she's looking at all the exotic creatures that have been effectively killed stuffed mm-hmm. and put on
0: display Metic. but we know um, from season one that's something that she would have done herself so it's it's something that would interest her right yeah exactly. Know she, was, she did uh, taxidermy uh, yes with her friends very weird pastime,
1: and this is where she meets dr alexander sweet the head zoologist the director of uh the exhibit e- and e- so on here um and yes this is kind of you know it's that it, they kind of meet over taxidermy we remember vanessa uh, in her recollections from season one where she is doing taxidermy with mina and peter um and they kind of connect over the taxidermy, the stuffed animals. Um, and, and we have Alexander Sweet seemingly a bit on the same wavelength as Vanessa. You know, he goes, I care for the unloved creatures. Uh, those dusty cases, make sure you go to, to see them. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if, if I don't, who, who will they meet initially over the scorpion displays as well? Oh, of course. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of symbolism here uh of these two characters um which we'll be getting to when we discuss episode 2.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Not going to spoil it all here. No, not at all. <laughs> but that was my main my main point just the introduction of Dr. Seward and this uh, this return of Pamela uh to the show. So I'm delighted to have her back and I think their relationship here is quite intriguing. Uh, any notes for the first episode that you want to talk about without spoiling anything from the second episode, John? The
1: the, the main notes Dr. Seward and Renfield are both from Bram Stoker's Dracula. and mm-hmm. um, Renfield actually being the original um, a lawyer that goes out to um Transylvania to Dracula's uh, castle to 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 start the the process of Dracula buying up the properties around London for him
0: to move to. That's right. Before Mister Harker, yes, who was Mina's supposed hus- husband. Yeah, the fiance. Yes, yeah. in Dracula, and then yes, that's right. Okay, so yes.
1: So that's a nice little tie in mm-hmm. here, and then Doctor C would. And um, it was, the character was John Seawood in Bram Stoker's Dracula, uh, where he is what connected to the Harker family mm-hmm. and Mina uh, and is, is there to, um, it is one of the first doctors to come into contact with the, the vampiric states yes. that they're. That some of the characters enter into after a good old uh, nosh around nosh the neck. The neck. Uh, yes, yes. So, exactly. So, yes, yeah.
0: so Paddy Lepone also playing a character from Dracula. Very cool. We will talk about the other two storylines that happen in this episode, the stuff with Ethan and Hecate and the stuff with Malcolm Murray and uh, his new partner. Uh, we'll talk about those in the next episode because I think they're kind of alluded to a bit uh, in this episode, but we don't see enough of them to really talk about them as major points Uh, and there's only two of us so we'll talk about them a bit more in the second episode i think
1: yeah exactly i think the only other big thing from this episode that we have to really mention and it it involves renfield um is you know he closes up the office of dr seawood he he goes looking for um i suppose some friday night fling uh, in with Mm. a prostitute but That all comes to a very, very abrupt end as the prostitute gets slammed against Mm -hmm. the wall. I mean, literally smashed. It really does feel violent.
0: Yeah, Um, and she looks completely broken. Yeah, exactly. And you say prostitute, but she's a woman selling stuff on the side of the street. And this creepy character of Renfield is just kind of throwing money at her going, do you want to have a quickie at the back? She's not really a prostitute. He's just paying her money to have sex with her is kind of the... The creepy part about Renfield, you've you got an image of him that he's going, you know, counter to counter down the street, going to any woman that will look at him. Would you, would you have sex with me for a bit of cash? Yeah. Like, well, exactly. Uh,
1: but he gets whisked into the darkness mm-hmm. and, and we come to a, a new, I suppose, nest of vampires, or at least their are familiars uh, with uh, this this. Sort of defunct looking warehouse, mm-hmm. um, as great sound effect, um, really as then their master arrives, mm-hmm. um, and he effectively, um, lets it be known that he is Dracula, yes. uh, and he does enroll Renfield into, uh, his move towards Vanessa Mm -hmm. that he says, you will learn more and inform me. You will open her secrets, uh, to me. And he, he finishes it off with, give me your neck, give me your throat, give me your blood. Um, you know, I am the master. Um, I am Dracula. This is very much, um, it feels to me this idea of a reflection of season two Mm -hmm. where, we we found out about the two brothers cast out of heaven. Um, season two was Lucifer primarily with the witches. And now we are meeting Dracula for the first time. In a sense, the, the vampire, the head vampire who had Mina, or at least was there at the Grand Grignol at the end of season one, mm-hmm. that was not the, the master. That Absolutely. was just the, the master for that nest at the Grand Grignol. Yeah. It's a nice
0: reminder, isn't it? Because, you know, it was mentioned back in season one that that was never the end of the story that was always a sub-level master i suppose they hadn't reached the top level all they were trying to do is get mina back basically but there was one other person that was actually chasing after vanessa so nice that at the start of this season we get that one last thing because we didn't mention uh, john claire's trip to the arctic as well uh because kind of have to mention another really horrific moment in the episode where we have <laughs> um all of the the crew members who are dying effectively. They're running out of food. They're, they're, there's everybody's dying of frostbite and uh, and everybody's either sick or dying. And you have someone proposing that they actually eat some of the frozen men that were on board the ship. Um, John Clare for a moment protects a young boy who's coughing. Um, but then realizes he only has a few days to live and snaps his neck and walks away. Yes. Um he has a vision of his own family for the first time John Clare does, so he has a vision of his past and his history. So he knows he's about to leave but realizes that the boy couldn't possibly survive. So he yeah. kills the boy. In a way in a John Clare type of way or the creature type of way, he's doing something nice for the boy because he doesn't want him to die painfully over the 3 days, but it's pretty brutal, though.
1: Well, let's just say, I think so far in TV uh, history that I do think John Clare, or the creature, as we would like to affectionately call him, mm-hmm. um, he does snap necks really quite well. He's pretty incredible. You, you, you like get that, yeah. the sense that he does <laughs> it pretty well. But I like the fact that you're right, it comes from a sense of... Putting the the child out of of its misery, and that's because we see a flashback, but it's not a flashback; it's a remembrance, it's a memory um, of his old life mm-hmm. uh, with a very sick child. Um, and that this is an interesting part here because I, I'm trying to think whether it is the first time. I think it really is, it is. That, that we like. see. John Clare remembering his past, which is very exciting. Um, I think, I think the other great thing here is that just seeing the contrast with the, the, the sailors in the, you know, with his hands being as cold as marble, he can. He's, he's quite enjoying this cold. It doesn't faze him. You know, I'm, I'm surprised here. he didn't bring his sort of you know sunbathing towel to to lie out and <laughs> and soak up the coldness. Yeah.
0: Um, he seemed to be enjoying himself quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, I just want to point out, fellow uh, Pelly Faithful, the reason why John said the words that was very exciting in the way he did was because he was reading while he said that. But he is quite excited a bit. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, no, I am. I
1: am. <laughs> um, But the one thing I really like to think about with regards to this ship is I like to think of it as being the hms terror mm. uh, the sh- because it was going to the arctic that this was hms terror and it was accompanied with another ship that they were trying to force the northwest passage mm-hmm. in winter and they both got caught in the in the ice as it, it went deep into winter and all hands were lost at sea the this idea that this would be hms terror mm. um, which was also a tv show it was um, just it, it just fits it perfectly yeah. so whether it is or it isn't for me he is aboard HMS terror
0: <laughs> i don't see any other ship it could be well, for penny dreadful can i give you one uh, because the mary shelley's frankenstein the one that starred robert de niro the opening of that movie was a ship run aground in the arctic yes uh, and we had victor frankenstein in the arctic with his version of the creature as well so i think it's a little nod back to that movie over I, there. I think but i think is. both of them may be hms terror <laughs> yeah it, <laughs> so. it
1: could be i do like the sound of that for sure um whether it is or it isn't
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's it that's our discussion about season three episode one of penny dreadful the day tennyson died and we didn't even talk about tennyson in it.
1: Well, that's true. I don't really. I'm not great with poetry now, or with poets. Full <laughs> you stop. actually just hate poetry um, because, like, we didn't even get the reference about John Clare being a an English poet, and uh, that mm-hmm. that was what the creature had picked. The only thing I know literally about um, Tennyson is that a he was a poet, uh, and b I do know one of the lines, uh, and it is given to us here. Uh, by mr lyle that it is better to have loved and lost mm-hmm. than never to have loved
0: at all yes uh, which is an awesome line it for is. sure it is certainly and a, and a big reference to vanessa ives and ethan chandler of exactly course. um so yes good old tennyson for providing us with that line we'll be back later on in the week with our discussion about penny dreadful season three episode two predators far and near